welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. to Matthew chapter 7. We will continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, the Savior King and His Kingdom. And today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount began with eight attitudes, be attitudes, attitudes that as Christ, Christ followers we should look for and we should develop within our heart and mind that as we follow Christ in his kingdom, even in this life before, before he establishes his earthly kingdom, we should still be living in his kingdom. And these attitudes help us to do that. And then that followed, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount includes 19 principles that I've laid out over the last couple of months. And we come to the last one here this morning. And it's kind of a culmination, it kind of wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, because it ends here, but it also wraps it up in the idea that th this is what, what you ultimately you'll see out of these these attitudes and principles. And at the same time, it comes with a promise. And based on some of the things you've already heard here this morning, it's a promise that we all need. And so uh, we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. And, and Lord, um, you know, there are things going on um, in our nation, in our state, that... Um, Lord, we ought to be paying attention to because what we're doing here this morning um, is, is in some places is under attack. And while we may not actually see that, we may not understand, we may not see the, 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 the direct attack, Lord, there's an indirect attack that is manifesting that we need to pay attention to. And so, you know, while that's going on, we're going to take this opportunity to praise you for that, for the privilege and honor that we have to be here this morning to gather and to gather in your name, to gather with your people, to gather um, <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit and to gather around the word, your word. And so we praise you for that time, that opportunity has already been prayed. We lift up those who are, Lord, going through some hard things, and Gary and Sandy, and and uh, what they're going through, Lord, I I can't even imagine it, Lord, but you can. You know, you understand, you feel what they're feeling, and Lord, you you have promised to comfort those who need comforting, and so we're we're asking you, we're begging you right now that you would do that for them. Strengthen them, comfort them, be with them, lead them and guide them, provide for them, whatever they need right now, Lord God. And I pray for us as their people, as your people, that, Lord, we would surround them and love them any way that we can. We praise you and we thank you and we love you. And we live this day up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is going to wrap up this powerful sermon with a metaphor that 
his hearers would have been very familiar with. So we're going to jump right into it. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If we remember last time, Jesus warned us about false teachers, false prophets, false pastors, false teachers. We have to watch out. There are people out in the world who claim to be speaking on behalf of God who either are terribly deceived themselves or are seeking to take advantage of God's people. And we need to be watching for that. We need to be careful. We need to know God know God and his word so well that when we, those people pop up, because they will, and they say things and they try to, and they sound very eloquent, and they sound very convincing, we sense right away there's something wrong with what they're saying. It's better when we actually know exactly what's wrong with what they're saying, but at the very least we need to be sensitive enough to God, sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit, that when, they, when those false people speak, something in us says there's something off about this. We got to be careful. He also warned us about being a false believer. You know, we, you know, in church, we, you know, we look around the room and say, no, these are all believers here. Yeah, okay. He said, you know, watch out. Sometimes, sometimes those people all around you, those ones that have been showing up every Sunday, sometimes, well, you know, they've been faking it for however long. Nobody here, of course, you know, I'm sure that you're all amazing. You are amazing. But there's a consequence for being a false believer. There's a consequence for being a false teacher, one that is terrible. There's also a consequence for being a false believer in that Jesus will reject you if you try to, when you try to, you know, you go before him to enter heaven, he's going to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. You can say all the right things. You can do all the right things. You can pretend all day long. But if you're not really a believer in Jesus Christ, you've not humbled yourself before him. You've not repented before him. You've not received him as your Lord and Savior. Then, then, then when you stand before him, all of this will mean nothing. It's really important that we understand that. In this text, he's also going to tell us that there is a temporal consequence for not being a true believer. And there's an application where, this, where we can take this, not just for the false believer, but for that, that carnal believer, that, 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 that marginal believer, that, that believer who is, you know, has, has, has done, nothing, done nothing more than receive Christ. That's enough to get you into heaven, but there's, God expects more of us than that. And he used a metaphor here <clears throat> of a house. And to understand this metaphor, because he's, he's, it's the house, and, there, and there's two men, and they both have houses. And by the way, by the way if, if you'd rather be women, two women, go ahead. I mean, it's not going to change the illustration. You know, for the people who get really worked up, why isn't it about, what about, what about the women? Okay, just relax. 
Two men, they both have houses. And to understand the metaphor, we understand they're both the same. Both those houses are the same. They look the same from the outside. They, ha they have all the same things. That there's nothing about them looking from the outside. You would not be able to tell them apart. But Jesus said there's something underneath them that will make a difference for them. He used these, this, this metaphor of houses to describe the, the spiritual lives of these two men. And this is where it applies to all of us because, because all of us need to examine what he'll say is the foundation of our spiritual life. Is there a foundation? Is it a foundation that will survive the kind of storms that we've already heard about this morning that come into our lives? Now we could bring this into a modern say, setting and say these could be two men that are sitting in this church right this moment. Two people sitting in this church right this very moment that if you look at them, you would not be able to discern there's a difference between them spiritually. They, they show up at church. They say the right kinds of things. They do the right kinds of things. They, they put their kids in the children's ministry. They give. They serve. They do all of the same kinds of things. To look at them, they're both great spiritual men or women. Jesus describes one of these men as wise and the other as foolish. It's a quick little aside. The word that's interpreted foolish there uh, comes from the Greek root where we get the word moron from. So just throw that out there. If you, you know, you can, be, you can be wise or you can be a moron. Yeah, it's interesting people would rather be a fool than a moron. Well, according to the Bible, they're the same thing. So... The criterion for determining which one you are, and I believe we all have to do this ourselves. Nobody's going to come to you and say, hey, 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 you know, what's, you know you're, you're a moron. Well, somebody might actually say that, but they don't actually know. Only you can do that yourself. Only you can look at your own heart and say, is my faith real? Or am I just going through the motions? Am I, just, am I just here so that I can be a part of something, you know, that isn't horrible and evil and wicked out in the world? Am I here just so I can, you know, make, you know, friends? If, you know, whatever reason somebody might come, other than the fact that this is where we come to worship our God, if, if you're here for any other reason than that, then, then you, you, need to do, you need to do this examination. You need to recognize there's something you need to, you need to, you need to understand. And he, and he says here that you know, the criteria that we use to determine whether or not we are one of his or not is, he says, here's these sayings of mine and does them. Showing up and hearing about God, hearing from God, and all of those things is important. But if you don't go out and do them, if you don't do what God says, you don't do what you hear, then, then Jesus would refer to you as foolish. The foolish man is focused on looking like a Christian. Their house looks right, but it's not built upon anything solid. It lacks obedience. The wise man builds his spiritual house through obedience. Doesn't concern himself about how it looks. A spiritual person recognizes that if I will obey God, he will take care of the looks. He will determine how it looks. 
But the foolish man will do, will focus on the way it looks. Kingdom principle number 19. Christ followers obey Christ. That's kind of obvious, right? If you're a Christ follower, if you're not obeying him, then you're not a Christ follower. You can claim to be a Christ follower. You can call yourself a Christ follower, but Christ followers obey Christ. Here's these sayings of Christ and, and, and does them. That's key. Jesus had just laid out 18 other principles. Those principles are his sayings, the sayings that he laid out so that we have a foundation upon which to build a true Christian life, a life that is going to bring us to God and to the good that God has for us. And, and, and the, the inverse of that is if you, don't, if you don't adopt the principles, you don't try to live out those principles and try to learn and grow through each of those principles, then you're not going toward God, which probably is not a good thing, right? Right? You should probably recognize if you're not going to God, uh, where are you going? And, and if he is the way to good and you're not going that direction, what are you going toward? Well, the opposite of good, right? Does that, does that make sense? No? Okay. <laughs> In Luke's rendering of this part of the sermon, he includes this question. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Saying it is absolutely ridiculous to call me Lord and then not do what your Lord is telling you to do. Because if you're calling him Lord, that means he's in charge. He's the boss. He's the ruler. He's the master. And to not do what he says is, is false. If Jesus is Lord, he is to be obeyed. Right? Or, said more precisely, since Jesus is Lord, he is to be obeyed. In what? Everything. Everything he says. Whatever his sayings are, all these sayings that he's just given us, and all the other things that he said, those are his sayings, and they are to be obeyed. By whom? Everyone. Everyone. That's God's will, is that everyone would bow their knee to Jesus. Everyone. Well, okay, we know that not everyone is or will, but at the very least, his people should, right? Those who call him, at least in word, they call him Lord, they should obey him. It is foolish or moronic to say that you are a Christ follower and then not follow him, not obey him. It's interesting, he says, these sayings of mine. Jesus is not speaking on behalf of God. He is speaking as God. If you study the Sermon on the Mount, he says things that if he is not God, then, then what he is saying is flat-out blasphemy. In fact, when we read through, often we read through Jesus' words and his teachings, he says things sometimes that, that, that if you're not paying attention, 
you're going to miss that he is, he is claiming to be God. And he does it over and over and over again. And sometimes as modern readers, we might miss it. And, and, or or we, are, we are looking back and we're so, we're so kind of trained in our thinking that we just, we, it, we, it just goes, it just flies right over the top. But the people that heard Jesus originally, they weren't missing those things. He was saying things that, that made it obvious to them that what he was saying was that he was God. At one point when Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders, or they heard him in John 10, 31, it says this, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The, G the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They were saying, the things you're saying, you are claiming to be God. They heard Jesus' words, and they, heard, and they interpreted them as though he is speaking not on behalf of God, because they heard those kind of guys all the time. There are people who would come and speak on behalf of God. There were the prophets. They would come and say, thus saith the Lord. I have heard a message. God has given me a message from the Lord for you. But everyone knew it wasn't the prophet's message, if, if he was a true prophet. There were false prophets. There still are. But if it was a true prophet, they knew that he, this guy is not saying he's God. He's just saying, I've heard a message from God, and I'm giving that message to you. That's not how Jesus talked. Jesus said, I have a message for you, and it's my message, and my message is, and he would say it, and they got that. It would be blasphemy if Jesus were to say that and not be God, but he was God. He is God, and as God, he is Lord. And as Lord, he has the absolute right to determine the principles of how his people live. Does that make sense? You know, we, we, we live in a country, and in this country we had founding fathers, the people that kind of formed the original structure of this country, and they laid out the principles of this new nation. They, in, in, in a couple of documents, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Those are the principles under which this nation was formed. And, that, and they were saying, this is how we as a nation will move forward. This is how we will conduct ourselves as a nation. And there was an expectation that the people in this country, in this nation, would abide by those rules, by those principles, right? Does that make sense? That's that kind of how, you know, those sorts of things work. And, and not just countries, any organization has principles. Well, 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 yeah. They have principles. Not always good principles. They have principles. And they have a, a structure and a way that they view things. And these are the things. You, they might refer to them as policies. We have policies. And these policies are how we function and how we operate. There are many, including people in the highest positions of our government, who would like to rewrite the principles of our nation. I am thankful that we have a majority on the Supreme Court that still believes those principles should be upheld and protected. Very recently they ruled, and something we should celebrate, they re re 
they, they ruled positively on cases regarding free speech. Now, why should we care about that? Well, you, you care about free speech a lot. Because our right to be sitting in this room right now and hearing from the Spirit of God is founded upon that right to free speech. If, we, if you lose the right to free speech, if they overrule that, it will not be long before they're locking the doors on churches. I, we, I mean, just, you just, we've seen it historically in other places. If, if they take away your right to express yourself, even when you're saying dumb things, they will eventually come and shut down speech they don't like. And right now, we, we're living in a time where people do not want to hear what God has to say to them. So we got to care about that. And we got to take, take a responsibility to do something. Now, I believe, even as twisted and messed up as this country is, it is still the best country on earth. And I believe... It could be better, right? Does anybody acknowledge that? Well, how could it be better? Well, one way, just follow the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Just do what our founding fathers said. That would be good. That would be better. What would be even better? Follow these principles. Do it the way God said. Now, our founding fathers, for the most part, had that in view when they were doing what they were doing. Now, they're not perfect, and nobody's going to suggest that they were but they had these principles in view when they did a lot of that. That's what we want. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to mess with people. We don't want to. We don't want to shut people down. What we want is we want the good that God intends for all people. The 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 life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness things that that God intends for all people. We want that. Back to our metaphor. The spiritual house, this house, this, this metaphor of the spiritual house of two men. The wise man built his house on the rock. Now, rock is an okay translation, but a better translation would be bedrock. If you want to build a building that's going to stand, you dig down to the bedrock. You've got to, get that, you've got to get that building on something so solid that no matter what comes, it's going to stay standing, right? Am I right about that, this construction guy? You know, you've you got to get all the way down to the most solid. And, and, you know, Randy can probably tell you, and others can tell you, because there are places around the world where they don't do that. You know, they just, you know, they show up in a place, they, oh, let's, let's put a house right there. And they build a house. But then when something comes and starts shaking on that house, starts messing with that house, what happens? <sighs> See some of these third world countries where earthquakes come and just level entire neighborhoods. What are you saying here? That if you build your life on, on the, the sayings or principles of this sermon, as well as the other things that Jesus says, then your spiritual life is built on something immovable. The foolish man does not do that. He does not build on the bedrock. He builds on sand. Now, maybe that you've, you've experienced this. Maybe you've been to the beach. If you go into the beach and, and you get out to where the sand is and the water is kind of little waves are coming over and you stand there, you stand that one spot and the waves kind of hit you, they kind of wash over you a little bit, what happens? The sand starts eroding from under your feet. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? It just, it, it, you don't have to do anything. You stand there and as the waves come, they just start taking that sand away. 
That's how some people are living their spiritual lives. They've they've built their life on something that is not solid, and then when just life washes over them, it starts eroding away the foundation that they have, which is not really much of a foundation at all. And eventually, it erodes to a point where something falls. The wise man, the foolish man, they have identical houses. And they're both hit by exactly the same things. You could see them side by side in a neighborhood. They're both of them sitting there and they hit by exactly the same things, the same kinds of, of, of rain and, and storms and wind hit those houses. The, the identical homes hit by the identical things, two different results. The wise man's house did not fall. The foolish man's house came down with a great fall. When our lives are built on the rock, when they're built on the sayings of Christ, we are able to stand in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the the rain and the floods and the winds that will come. You can't stop those things from coming. They come to everyone. Believers and unbelievers will all go through the same kinds of things. Jesus even told us that as believers, we will not be excluded from those things. You know, we like to think, you know, once I come to Jesus, he's going to put this invisible force field around me and no bad will ever come into my life again. Wouldn't that be sweet? John 16, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, the winds, the storm, the, the, all that stuff is going to come. It's going to hit us. But Jesus says that in the midst of it, we can have peace. In the midst of the storm. One of the things that this text teaches us is that it's in the storm that we determine the quality of our faith. Not in the peace. Not in the quiet times. Not in the good times. But in the storm. In the, in the quiet times. In the peaceful times. In the, in the happy times. In all of that. You know, we're, we're focused on the good. And, and we should. We should rejoice when it's good. But the reality of how deep our faith is, how real our faith is, can only be proven in the storm. That's one of the reasons why God allows them in our lives. If, if all we needed to do was believe and, and be done, then Jesus could protect us and would protect us. But he wants more than that. He wants our faith to go deep. He wants our faith to go down to the bedrock. He wants our faith to be so solid that even if those things do come, it's not, it's not, going, to, it's not going to move us off of our foundation. Storms will come in this life. And I wish I could say something else. I wish I could say something different than that. But Jesus is telling us that we can stand securely in them. That we can stand and know some kind of peace in the midst of them. Now, it doesn't, make their, it doesn't mean they're going to be easy. I promise you that no matter what, how strong your faith is, when these storms hit, you're going to hate it. 
It's going to it's going to hurt. It's going to it's going to you're going to wrestle and struggle with it because we are what we are. But for us to stand secure, we must listen to his words, to Christ's words, and then put them into action. We must obey. Paul says something like that in Acts 20, verses 22 through 40. He's on his way to, to Jerusalem where he's, it's, been, it's been prophesied that when he gets there, he's going to be arrested and then sent, into, sent to Rome as a prisoner. And they're saying, don't go, don't go. And he said, I, I got to go. He says here in verse 22, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. He's, well, they're, they're warning him he's going to be bound by the, you know, the Romans. He's saying, no, no, I, I, I'm bound by something else, someone else. I am bound by the spirit of God. I must go where he leads. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. He says, I'm going there. And I know it's going to be hard. I know when I get there, chains and tribulation. Anybody want to volunteer for that ministry? No. Nobody would. But this is the key. None of these things move me. His foundation was solid on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. And the things that Jesus said, he said, that, those other things, that's a storm. It's a big one coming. Dark clouds, thunder, lightning. It's about, it will be about as bad as you can imagine. And yet that doesn't move me. My foundation is solid on the rock. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. Listen. This is one of the keys. Now, in, in the full extent of interpreting, interpreting that, he's saying that even if it costs me my very life, it doesn't matter. I have to obey. I have to follow Christ. But listen, there, you know, it doesn't have to be the end of your life to, to apply here. You know, the, nor do I count my life dear to me could mean I may not be comfortable for a while. I might be, I might be, you know, you know, you know, uh, inconvenienced for a while. I might suffer for a while. I might, whatever these things. But if we can get to a place in our spirit, in our, when our foundation is so strong that we can say that I do not count my life dear to myself, that means whatever God allows into my life, whatever comes into my life, I will recognize it's from the hand of God. And as a good and holy and righteous and pure and perfect God, that means I can accept it, even if I hate it, which is okay to do. You can hate the hard things that come into your life. Just remember to love Jesus while you're doing it. So that I may finish my race with joy. Paul is saying, I'm going to go through this. It's going to be miserable, but you know what? I'm going to finish my race. That's the track that God has given me. I'm going to run on it. No matter what it means, no matter what it looks like, I'm running on that case, and I'm, I will finish my race with joy, which if you go to 2 Timothy, you'll see him saying that was exactly what he was about to do, was to finish his race. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, storms, difficulties, hard things, loss, inconvenience, suffering, pain. These things are unavoidable in life. You're not going to get away from them. 
Kelly and I, we're dealing with a thing. It's not easy for us, our dog, Raisin. She's on hospice now. Didn't know you actually did that with animals, but our dog is on hospice. You know, she's been a part of our life for a long time. And we're preparing to say goodbye. The sadness Kelly and I are feeling, and we're already feeling it. Feeling the, the, the loss already. Is countered by the thankfulness that God gave her to us in the first place and the joy that we've had and the, and the fellowship and, the, and just that she's just been a joy to our lives. Now we know that many of you know what that feels like. And we also know that some of you are in things that are much, much harder than that. Much harder. But we always all have something. There's almost never a time that we don't, we can't look around this room and list out a whole litany of things that somebody, somebody's going through something in here. And, and many of them are far more severe than what we're going through right now. We know that. Now we're going to get through this. We've been here before. We'll get through it. But given enough time, What's going to happen? It'll be something else. It'll be another storm. We can't let any of these storms move us off the foundation of what we believe, of what we do, and what we are. The storms come to prove who we are. And it does. It proves to us and to the rest of and to the world around us who we are. We are believers in Jesus Christ. And our foundation is what Jesus said. And yes, he allows hard things in. And these storms come, they prove what your foundation is built upon. If the storm wrecks your life or some portion of your life, then your foundation is not strong. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And, and we, need, we need to acknowledge that. We need, to, we need to see that. We need to look at it. If this is wrecking me, if this is wrecking something in my life, some portion of my life, if it's, if it's, if it's really kind of just, just, you know, causing me to question all the different, whatever it is, however it's wrecking your life, if it's doing that, you need to confess that to God and ask him to help you strengthen your foundation because that's what you need. You don't need a solution to the problem. He's already got that worked out. You should ask for a solution, but that's not what you need. If, if that storm is wrecking you in some way, you need a stronger foundation. God allows these storms. And we shouldn't feel condemned when we, when we struggle in the storm. We, we, should, we should recognize something. What, what is, what is, what is, why is God allowing this? He's allowing this to show us something about ourselves, about our faith. He's saying, hey, hey, here's an area in your faith that you need some work. Because as bad as this is, something worse might be coming. And I want to be ready for it. And I can use this. I can see, you know what, I'm struggling with this. God, God is, in his grace, is showing you 
where you can grow in your faith. And he's saying to you, let's work on this. Let's get stronger in this. Let me help you get stronger. Let me help you build your foundation on these sayings. And if you find yourself struggling in the storm, and, and hey, we do. We struggle. Lean back into the arms of your Savior King, Jesus. Just lean back and say, Jesus, I'm struggling. I need some help. When you can't go on, you know what you should do? Let Jesus carry you. In Matthew 11, 28, it says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What should you learn from Jesus? What he said. Learn it. Learn what it means. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you find it hard to walk the path that God has laid before you because there are storms, because there are valleys, because there are, you know, there's opposition or pain or whatever it might be that's coming, then you need to lean back into Jesus. You need to lean back into the reality that you are a child of God. You are one of his kids. You are, you are a subject of the kingdom of God. And you, as, a, as, as that, you have a right to turn to your king and say, King, I need some help here. And you know what he does when you do that? He helps. But he's still going to call you to some step of obedience. Even in the midst of the storm, he's going to call you to a step of obedience. I love the, the story of Peter in the boat in the storm and Jesus walks up. You know, if that's you, Lord, call me out. The Lord says, come. Peter steps out, walks for a little bit on the waves. I mean, is that not radical? And then he looks around. Oh, wait a minute. There's a storm out here. And he starts to fall. And he cries out to the Lord. Lord, save me, he says. And what happens? Instantly, the Lord reaches out and grabs him. And then they walk together back to the boat. That's one of my favorite parts of that story. They walk together on the wave, in the storm, back to the boat. While, while we will not, I don't think any of us will experience that in a physical way, we absolutely can experience it in a spiritual way. And whatever storm we're into, Jesus is calling us into it. We don't like that, but he's trying to teach us something. Do you think Peter learned something in that encounter? He absolutely did. He absolutely believed, he absolutely learned that he could walk in the storm, on the storm. He also learned that if he got in trouble, he could turn to Jesus. And he also learned that Jesus would walk with him in the storm. Same thing is true for all of us. Whenever's going on, if you're struggling, you got to reach up. Jesus, save me. Deliver me. We heard the song, Deliverer. Save me. Deliver me, God, from this. He may not snatch you all the way out of it, but he'll walk with you through it. Chapter 7 ends with the response of the people who heard this sermon. 
Verse 28, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Again, he's speaking as he's teaching, he's speaking with the authority of God because he is God. The authorities, or the scribes, taught with the, with the authority of whoever it is they learn from. Jesus is our bedrock. And the attitudes and principles found in the Sermon on the Mount are the foundation of the life that can withstand any storm that comes. And, and, and church, don't ever kid yourself that you're immune to the storms or that this is the last one or the last one was the last one, any of those things. Now, I pray, I pray. I pray that none of you have to go through any more storms. That would be ideal, right? But that's not life. Stuff happens. And sometimes they're just so tragic as to make them almost unbearable. But in Christ, I can stand. In Christ, I have a foundation that cannot be moved. In Christ, I have the hope of endurance and persi persistence and perseverance through whatever comes. And I just stand there and wait for the salvation of the Lord. We're going to partake of communion this morning. And as we do, we, we, we should be thankful. We should be thankful. If you're in the midst of a storm, be thankful that Jesus is there with you. He's walking with you. And he will get you through to the other side of it, and he will bring you the peace that you desire and long for from it. And if you're not in a storm right now, praise Jesus and be thankful, right? Yes, praise him. Yes. Because he does bring us those times of peace and rest, and we should praise him for that. And then, if you're not in a storm right now, there's probably somebody around you that is. Ask Jesus to point somebody out to you and then reach out to them because might, God might want to use you to help them walk through whatever storm they're going through. I believe that's one of the main reasons why God gathers us together in a body like this so that we can help each other through the storms. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 
419-519-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.